Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and welcome back to season two. We have a lot of stuff in store for you this season. I have been recording some different podcasts over the past few weeks, and I want to give you a little overview of what it is we're going to be doing. Tonight's podcast, the introductory one, is going to be a little different than the way that we've done it in the past. One of the things that I want to do is I want to give you the opportunity to understand that when I started this entire endeavor, it was just my process. I didn't know how to do anything. My therapist had to teach me to go no contact. And we had many, many, many struggles and tussles over that. I learned affirmations by becoming an investment excellence facilitator with Lou Tice. I learned grief by becoming a grief therapist through the Grief Recovery Institute. I learned boundaries with my therapist. I learned how to build my life by working with different therapists and working with all kinds of gurus. I went to John Bradshaw workshops. I went to Stephen Levine workshops. I did all kinds of workshops and seminars and this and that. I learned it from the ground up. What eventually became getting past your breakup was my process. I put that together. That was mine. And when I graduated as a therapist in 1995, I started teaching what I learned to others. Now, I didn't think that it was going to work for others. I always thought that I had this very unique story. I was in foster care. I was adopted into an abusive alcoholic home. I was in an abusive marriage. I had had a homicidal boyfriend, you know, all kinds of issues. And my trajectory was not straight up. It was very bumpy. And when I started teaching others what I learned, because that's all I knew, I learned that what had happened to work for me also worked for them. So that was a surprise to me. I had no idea that that was going to happen. And I never was going to write a book. I never was going to do all of this. This all just came about. You all know the story. I'm not going to bore you with that. But what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what I'm going to show you over the next few weeks. It's not going to be all this. I have other things in the can, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your dating, your relationships, the things that you know, the things that you don't know, the things that you want to learn, the things that you haven't learned. What exactly do you need to know? When you listen to my story, the story of my clients, the story about this person, that person, I want you to think about what you would do in that situation. Would you know what to do? Would you not know what to do? I'm going to give you a very short overview tonight of when I first left my marriage and what sort of influences I had when I went out dating. And I did all kinds of things wrong, all kinds of things wrong, and I didn't know how to do things right. And it was a learning process. And the reason that I do is because I want you to never, ever think that I'm sitting here on high judging you thinking about, oh, you're not getting it. Why don't you know this? And I also want you to know that the reason that people always say I'm so intuitive, oh, you really know what we need, you really know what we want, you hear what I, you know, my clients, my boot campers will always say, I tell you a situation or a feeling and you just know what piece of work to give me, what direction to point me in, and that's because I've done it. I'm not a talking head. I'm not sitting here talking on high. I don't have a staff of writers. I don't have people 
looking all this stuff up. As both a therapist and an attorney, I'm telling you, this is the stuff that I know because I did it. I come off the cuff. What I'm talking to you right now is not prepared. It's not scripted. I have nothing in front of me. I'm just talking into a microphone. And in all the podcasts that you're going to listen to, that's me. I'm talking into a microphone. So tonight I'm going to give you a short little glimpse of my first foray into trying to do some dating relationships and how I didn't know that I didn't know. And eventually you're going to see how I evolved into actually understanding what it was I needed to know. So I'm going to give you the very first part of this. And I want you to give me feedback. Let me know what you think. Let me know what questions you have. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back into some of the real life stuff, some of the newsy stuff. While we were gone, uh, the Jody Arias appeal came out. I did a stalking podcast last season on the murders of Brian Poston and, and Travis Alexander and Shana Ubers, the uh, crazy ex-girlfriend who, who murdered Ryan Poston. She had her retrial. Jody Arias appeal came out. And while we were gone, Chris Watts was sentenced and Chris Watts was the evil monster who killed his wife, Shanann, and her two gorgeous little girls and their unborn son, Nico. He was sentenced on my birthday. Uh, it was a very emotional case. It's getting a lot of play. We're talking about him. I don't really want to talk about him. I want to talk about her. And I also want to talk about his wacky, narcissistic mistress. Those are the things that are going to help my listeners. Those are the things that are going to be instructive for you. Trying to talk about the mistakes that Chris Watts made in planning this murder isn't going to help anybody. I'm not going to waste my time with that. I'm going to talk about Shanann. I'm going to talk about some of the things that she said about Chris, some of the things that she may have missed, may not have missed, and some of the lessons that we can learn from, from her, from the mistress, and from the crazy women who are writing to Chris Watts. I'll talk about that later. But I'm going to do some true crime stuff. I want to do some female stalking cases. But if there's any other cases that you want me to talk about, please let me know. Please write me and talking podcast at gmail.com. Send me your questions. Send me your situations. And please remember to say you're free to discuss this on the podcast. And if there's a story, if there's a that you want me to know about, you want me to talk about either as an attorney or as a therapist or both, please send those to me. I really want to know what my what my listeners are interested in. And so I'll be back after I do this little introductory podcast for tonight. I'll be back. We'll talk a little bit more. And welcome back. Let me know what you guys think. And away we go. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady yourself, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go through how we make our mistakes in relationships. 
I'm going to take you through examples from my life and my clientele of going through a breakup in a dysfunctional, not working relationship. Now, when I say dysfunctional, I didn't say abusive. I didn't say disordered. I didn't say anything like that. But if it's not working, it's dysfunctional, meaning it's not functional. And if you're breaking up, it's not functional. And you might want to argue in your head that it could be functional, you know, if your ex just got their act together. But that's not what we're talking about, okay? So let's go. I broke up my marriage in February. I broke up my marriage when I wasn't working. Foolish. I broke up my marriage when I had no place to go. Foolish. But the abuse had trickled to the children and the dog. It was to be night two of abusing the children and night one of abusing the dog. And I put a line in the cement instead of in the sand and said, I'm out of here or you're out of here. I packed him a box. I gave him his alarm clock, his watch, I mean, some clothes. And that was it. Sent him on his merry way. And he said, when he looked at the box, he's like, this is all I get. And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. a box. Goodbye. I need everything else. Couch, chairs, tables, food, kids. And he didn't stay away because we own the house next door. And his grandmother lived on the first floor. So now I was listening to my husband coming home at two o'clock in the morning when I was married to him for 10 years and it was lights out at 11 o'clock. If you were in the middle of a sentence at 11.01, he was like, shut it, shut it, shut it, 11.01, shut it, shut it. And that's all he would do. Now he's coming home two, three o'clock in the morning if he's coming home at all. I know where he is. I know what he's doing, but I'm still angry and each day that he comes in late or he comes home late or doesn't show up at all, I start to decompensate. And I fall into a horrible pit of depression because I don't know that everything in my life is designed to keep me from feeling as bad as I really feel. And how I really feel is lost, abandoned, no one wants me, no one likes me. There's nothing I can do to not be inherently rejectable by everyone. That's how I left my first marriage. Based on my childhood, I, my mother let me just fritter away in, in foster care for eight years. I was frozen. I had no idea where I was going, what I was doing, what was going to become of me. And the one person I felt connected to, my brother Edward, who I visited with when my mother came to the Catholic Charities, was taken from me. I last saw him, it was, I was seven because the way the Catholic Charities worked at the time was you had a year to visit your child. And if you hadn't visit your child within a year, your child was given up for adoption. So my mother would squeak in like 11 months and 28 days. There she was. I get to play with my brother for a while. I don't remember my mother saying word one to me. I remember her sitting in a chair. I remember she was pregnant with my brother, Billy, who was younger than Edward. And the last time I saw her, she was pregnant with my youngest brother. So I remember her. And I remember thinking, I always thought she was heavy. Like I always thought she was overweight because she was pregnant you know, half the time when I saw her, you know, and, and I kept wondering, even as a kid, I was wondering, 
why does she keep having kids? Like, what, like figure me out before you have any more kids. And she kept having boys. You know, and I'm just like, would you just please make up your mind? Like, what you're doing with me? It was so traumatic. It was so difficult. And I was running from that through all of my relationship. That feeling of being inherently unlovable. So I walk out of my marriage, a very wounded person. And when the feelings started collapsing, I tried desperately to get him back I figured that what I would do was that we get into counseling and I would let him know that abusing the kids and abusing the dog was just a no-go you're not gonna do it you're not gonna do it and I thought I was going to be negotiating from a position of strength which never happened he never wanted to come back he told me no it was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life and the best thing that ever happened. But I come out of this and a month later, this guy asked me out on a lunch date and he was in one of my support groups somewhere or at a event I attended. I don't actually remember where I met him, but we got involved. And the reason we got involved was because when I found out about my husband's affair, the last one, he said to me that it bothered me because nobody wanted me. Yeah, that's why it bothers me that another woman is sleeping with my husband because no one wants me. <laughs> that was his, that was what he said. And you know, gaslighting was going on. And when he said that, and then my mother followed it up. And my mother was supposedly an ally, but this is what she follows up with. I don't know who's going to date you with three kids, okay? So with those two sentiments, I basically threw myself to the first guy that came along. He wasn't a bad guy, but he wasn't anything that I really wanted long-term. And it was a dysfunctional relationship. So... It didn't last. My mother was one of those people who wanted me to go on to happily ever after without doing a single thing to get me there. Like she wanted this guy to be the one and that we're going to run off and get married. I mean, I wasn't even divorced. I hadn't even filed for divorce. I hadn't even filed for a legal separation. I hadn't done anything. Technically, he's dating a married woman. You know, technically we're having an affair, but there were so many people involved in all these affairs because my husband's girlfriend was sleeping with him while married to her first husband, who was a drunk and couldn't care less if they slept together, whatever the hell they did. As long as my ex was with his ex, he was perfectly happy. You know, she would just leave him the hell alone. And in one of the podcasts that I've already done and will do in the future, I talk about running into this guy one night that he's just like so thrilled that my ex and his ex are together. And he's sort of saying it to me like, like we're sort of members of the same club, only he's thrilled to be in this club and I'm not a happy camper in this club. So anyway... There was so much cheating going on, or not cheating, but there was so many actual marriages involved where nobody's with their partner. So the ex-husband of my ex's girlfriend wasn't involved with anybody, and the guy that I was involved with wasn't married, had never been married. So there were two guys who was who weren't married to anybody, but everybody else was married to somebody that they're not sleeping with. Anyway. I finally do the 
get the letter, the date or time, love makes it stronger, yada, yada. And I gave it to my therapist who said how original. And that was sort of popped the air right out of my balloon. Then I went to Chicago. Now, this is where I want you to think about the lesson. And I have more. But people do their standards and compatibility inventory without really having any clue as to what's absolutely important to them. Now, I want you to think about three or four things that are absolutely vital to you picking a future partner. I want you to look back on your relationship or relationship and what's the one thing that kind of stands out for you that you really should have done differently from relationship to relationship to relationship. Okay, so one of the things that my therapist said to me in the months that came between when I first started seeing this guy in March, which was, it was the end of March, my ex introduced my children to her children in the middle of March, which was about a month from our separation. And I met this guy the end of March and I was still reeling from him taking my kids with her kids to the zoo. I was so angry. So... But one of the things my therapist had impressed upon me, and there wasn't a lot, but that I should be with guys who are willing to spend money on me. When my ex and I first started out together, he bought me my first leather jacket. He bought me a car. He bought me hooded sweater. He had this thing about sweaters with hoods on them. He thought they were so cute. So he would just shower me with gifts. And it was the narcissist love bombing thing that goes on. He did it with the cards. He did it with the gifts. And that's not what I was looking for. One of the things we were looking for was trying to see how a person gives gifts or if a person gives gifts and to see if it's love bombing or you're just never getting anything out of this guy. So anyway, I go to visit him on his new job. Now he's working in the hospitality industry. He's a chef. He was just starting out, but he had gone to a really good, he went to a top of the line culinary school and he was going to do quite well. So I bought him some things that he collected. He had a few hobbies and things that he collected. And I bought him a few things for some of his collections. I spent money to go see him and when I was there all weekend I was paying for all the meal and when he and I first started seeing each other he was a student he had not graduated yet and he graduated in June so from June to September he was working and not seeing me most of that time so he should have had money he had a roommate he had a nice apartment but it was nothing usually expensive so he dropped a few hints about things that was really something I would never consider and one of the things he said to me once and this was when we first started seeing each other was about doing some bondage And I said to him, no, I have an abuse history. And at that time, I was still telling people too much about my abuse. But with him, I had given him a lot of the abuse history. But in this conversation, all I said to him was, with my abuse history, any idea that I'm being blindfolded or 
tie my wrist or anything. Like, no, it's not going to happen. And he said to me, that delighted that he liked. Like, he would he would be into, like, full-on S&M if I was into that. And I was horrified. But when we talked about it, he said that he felt that it was part of his dysfunction. It was part of him. Like I said, I met him in a support group. And... I know he was in therapy, he was working on issues, and he told me about that kind of sexual proclivity, that it was something he was trying to work out of, not be that anymore, because he felt that it came from a dark place, that it wasn't anything healthy for him, and that he really needed to not engage in that anymore, so I, I would just listen. I didn't know if he wanted me to share similar stuff because that had never been an issue for me and it never would be. So when he brought up the light bondage and he kept saying light bondage or playful bondage, like he kept, he kept, kept putting it in this frame that made it sound like, you know, we we're playing a game, which I guess that's what he thought. Meanwhile, I'm breaking into a cold sweat and being traumatized. And I had not even begun to touch my trauma work at the time. And he's talking about tying me up. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So those were little things. And I talk about in getting back out there. It's called stick it in your back pocket observation. So I stuck that in my back pocket because if it ever got to the point where he said, look, I want to engage in this type of sexual activity and you don't. So therefore we're over. That was in my back pocket. You know, maybe it would come to that. I didn't know what he was working out. He had moved. I didn't know if he got a new therapist. And I really didn't want to get into it with him. And I will tell you that when you're at that stage of recovery, you will be blathering your face off. Let me tell you about my abandonment issues. Let me tell you about my attachment issues. Let me tell you about this. Let me say this about that. And you don't want to do that. And that ship had already sailed for me in that relationship. I mean, I basically came in and did the verbal diarrhea all over the place. It's my history. and blah, blah, blah. I mean, of course, I didn't say I'm a month away from throwing my husband out. Oh, yeah, that means I'm technically married. I mean, what else? So I thought that my exit from the relationship with this guy was going to happen over the sexual thing. Never. I mean, never brought it up never became an issue. I go to see him. I buy him gifts. I pay for dinners out. I mean, he doesn't even pick up a check or try to pick up a check or often we tip nothing. And I'm going, I'm going and I'm feeling what do I do about this? This guy has not spent one red dime on me. And when he was a student, that, and I had a good job as a computer programmer. Okay. But even like a student could offer a tip and now you're not a student. Now you've been working from June to September, not spending a dime on me. And now I'm here and I'm with you. And none of this mutual benefits is happening. And at this point in my life, I had learned how to set some boundaries with my ex. And I've talked about it. You know, they're your kids and your grandmother. You take them to see her. All those kinds of things that I was learning. But in this situation, I knew it was not okay. I just didn't know if I made a proclamation about how this is not okay. 
Or if I ask about money or if I ask for money, like, do you think you could kick in a few dollars? Do you think you could kick in a tip? What's the deal here? Like, did you not eat that food? Like, I saw you eat the food. Did you not know that you needed to pay for the food? What's going on in your head? Just that I'm going to pay. Is that it? Of course, none of that came out of my mouth because I didn't know how to talk like that. I didn't even know enough to put it into those words. So what I did was I said nothing and I waited and I thought, how do you get out of a relationship without a restraining order or some gigantic mushroom cloud of an atomic wasteland you finally figured out? How do you end a relationship without any of that drama? I didn't know. I didn't know. I was like, hmm, I, I don't know how you do this. What happened was I was at the end of a four-day weekend. I went to visit him. I brought gifts. I paid for food. And now I have a plane leaving at four o'clock. It's now 12 o'clock. This was before 9-11, so I didn't have to basically rush to the airport at the last minute, but I still wanted to get going. And because it was falling in such a weird time of the day, I wanted to eat. So I said to him, do they have pizza delivery here? He said, yes. So we order a pizza. The pizza's like $17. I'm packing. So the doorbell rings. I go to my pocketbook. I pull out a 20. The pizza's like 16 something. I hand him a 20 and I say, tell him to keep the change. He comes back with $2 and he hands it to me and he says, these were the best relationship ending words ever. He said, he hands me the $2 and he says, you're too generous. How the top of my head is still attached to the rest of my head is beyond me because I am sure as certain as I'm standing here talking to you that the top of my head blew off and I just looked at him and I went oh okay I took the two dollars I put it in my pocket I finished packing I ate my pizza I kissed him goodbye I left and I never spoke to him again bingo what happened was whatever it was was it was as clear as if somebody hit me in the face with a fish. I was no, 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 and no. I walked out, I never walked back in. One of the things that's important is for you to have an idea of what it is you want in a future relationship. And early in your next dating scenario, whatever it is, you come up with a list of four or five different things that you're going to observe about this person and try not to put a lot of influence in there and listen to what is being said. The other thing that's important, and this is absolutely vital, and the only person who can answer this question and be truthful about it is you. What are you willing to give up for a relationship and what do you not? What must you absolutely positively without question have to have in a future relationship? One of the things that was on my list was 
spends money on me, is willing to spend money on me. It's not an issue. One of the things that my therapist told me to look for, and I encourage you to look for the same thing, is to decide what you want to ask and how you want to ask it. And if this is not there, or it's not there the way you want it to be there, you move on. When this guy brought back that money, I thought to myself, he doesn't have a clue. I can't teach somebody from whatever the hell moral standards, moral compass. There are certain things that the judgment that it takes, the lack of judgment, that it takes to hand that $2 back to me and say, you are too generous. In that moment, I realized there was no, zero, nada, goose egg, absolutely no chance of us having a relationship. I didn't have to explain things to him. I didn't have to roll out all the crap I'd spend money on. I didn't have to sit him down and have an hour and a half conversation about why this behavior is bullshit behavior, the gulf was too wide. Now, had we talked about it, he might have been able to convince me why he did what he did, whatever. I didn't want to hear anything about that. I just didn't. If I had to sit there and explain Everything that was wrong with him coming in with that money. I just, it'd be like teaching a baby how to fly a plane. It's like, you're not going to do it. And if you do it, you're just going to crash and die. So don't do it. And people who behave in the way he behaved don't deserve to be in a relationship with a person who is generous, who is trying to help out. You don't see the error of what you just did. And I'm not going to explain it. It was the first time in my entire life I had that experience. And I will tell you that it has saved me more times than not. Okay, so that's the first piece of this. And I'm going to follow up with more. But what I want you to be getting from these podcasts is that too many times we go into dating and relationships without a clue what it is we want, what it is we don't want. And even though I talk about the standards and compatibility inventory and getting back out there, sometimes we can't put things down there because we can't imagine some of these scenarios. And like I tell people, there is the tuck it in your back pocket observation. Now, I didn't know when I was with this guy, when he was going to school, that he was a cheap bastard and that he had no problem letting me spend money on him. But then he was going to have an issue with me spending $2 on the pizza guy. There was no way that any of that could wind up on my standards of compatibility inventory because I didn't even know stuff like that existed. But the important thing is, I want you to go back and I want you to look at some of your relationship and times when something really bothered you or something really seemed to be the opposite 
of the way you would want somebody to handle something. And maybe you've said something about it. And maybe the person, either they made excuses or they justified, they rationalized. And you come away thinking, okay, you know, well, I guess. There are some things where you should not have a conversation. And people will say to me, oh, don't I owe them an explanation? No, I didn't owe that guy an explanation any more than he owed not giving the pizza guy that $2. He acted like such a bonehead. And if I had said to him, dude, like, what do you mean? You know, I come from New York. We've had delivery my entire life. And we, I've always driven in cabs and things like that. We tip all over the place. And he was from this little one-horse town in Vermont. But now he's in Chicago in the big city. I'm not going to educate him on tipping the pizza guy. The fact that he brought that money back to me said, okay, no. If other people want to go round the bases about that, fine, whatever. I didn't. You have to come up with some things in your life where having a discussion, having an argument, bringing something up is just going to frustrate you. It's what I talk about in getting past your breakup, about babysitting someone's brain. In early relationship, think about the times where something happens that absolutely signifies that you guys are on two different planets and you kept going. What was that? When was that? And start getting used to the idea that it's okay to not argue about it, not bring it up, not say, hey, this is a problem for me. You have to start to recognize when somebody is so far afield of what it is you want for your life and your relationship and the way you operate in the world that they cannot possibly be a partner to you in the long term. You've got to start looking at that and don't start thinking, oh, I owe them an explanation or maybe there's a reason. No. That's how we get into trouble. That's how we stay in relationships too long because we believe other people's bullshit and we do it to our own detriment. Now, I've got more stuff because that was the very first relationship out of the gate and it ended in a way that I could not have predicted. And one of the reasons that I didn't say anything was because I didn't know what to say and it it just stunned me. On the plane all the way home, that's all I could think of was, I'm never going back. I'm never speaking to him again. That was just so terrible. Now you're thinking, I'd only been out of my marriage like six or seven months when this happened. So I was learning, but I will tell you that now I tell people that. Recently, I had one of my boot campers tell this story about how this guy she was seeing said something that he said to his ex-wife when they were still married. And what she relayed to me and to the group, it was one of those stunning moments where you're thinking, I can't be with a person who said that. I mean, she didn't end the relationship right there, but it was a tuck it in your back pocket moment for her where she really had to think about it. She had to think about, this is not a guy who has the same moral compass, the same value system as I do. What he said to his his wife at the time was abusive and really nasty. And it stunned her because she had this 
view of him as a nice guy. But a nice guy would never say what he said to his ex-wife. So she had to kind of wrap her brain around the guy that I think I know. He's portrayed himself this way. And now he's telling me that he said this to her. That does not comport with the person that I have been getting to know over these past few months. And there was no way that she could sweep it under the carpet. And she never brought it up to him. She just kept saying when he discussed it with her, she just kept saying, you didn't really say that to her, did you? And he said, no, no, I really did. And she said, well, what happens when I do something like that? Are you going to say something like that to me? And he was like, no, 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 you're different. And we both know that that was not going to be the way it was. He was going to eventually say something abusive to her, like he said to his ex-wife. So think about those early things. Now, I've got a lot more of these. I'm going to give you the history. I'm going to tell you all these different dating mistakes and relationship mistakes I made. But I want you to start thinking when you hear these stories, when did this happen for you? Or when should if it happened to you? What times in early relationship have you bargained with yourself and your moral compass and your value system to stay with somebody who in the long term was not on the same page as you? And you let it slide or you rationalize it, you justified it, you excused it when you shouldn't have. And try to get right with the idea that if somebody says something that is so outside the way you think people should operate, that you don't argue about it. You don't bring it up to them and say, oh, we have a problem. We need to talk about this. You just go. That guy probably never knew why we broke up. And I didn't care. A few months later, he sent me this bizarre card with a picture of him that was like at a Halloween party. So it was bizarre. And he didn't ask me what happened, but I just looked at it and went, okay, this is weird. But I didn't feel bad about that any more than he felt bad about taking the guy's tip. So think about it. Start to think about this. Start to journal about this. Start to go back through your relationships and go, hmm, what was going on here? When should I have realized that he was coloring outside the lines there? You know, when did I realize that she really didn't care about the same stuff I cared about? Start to think about it and start to get right with the fact that in the future, you're not going to go further with things like that. There's a lot more. Welcome to season two. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. It's really, really important, guys. Have a lot more really soon. Talk to you all soon. Happy New Year.